Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grosso, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, as the markets soar off the lows, a number of once left for dead stocks are showing signs of life. We'll tell you which names could go even higher. Plus, check out shares of Activision. Higher after hours, the stock had gotten wrecked this year, but did it just get an extra life? And later, Macy's, the worst performing stock this year. But there is something about the sell-off. The chairwoman here says investors are getting all wrong. She'll give us the fine print. But we start off with the market. Stocks are rallying today on the art, I mean hope, of the deal. A proposed border agreement in progress on trade talks, sending the Dow soaring more than 370 points. The S&P closing above its 200-day moving average for the first time since right before that big December sell-off. So let's get straight to Eamon Javers for the very latest on all the deal talks. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. The president of the United States said two seemingly contradictory things during a cabinet meeting today. On the one hand, he said he doesn't like the showdown deal that's uh, coming together up on Capitol Hill. He says this is a democratic deal. It's bad for the country. On the other hand, he said uh, he doesn't think there's going to be a, a shutdown of the government at the end of the week. So the question is, how can we have a, a shutdown avoidance while not embracing this showdown deal? Here's what the president said earlier today. It's always nice to negotiate a little bit, right? So, you know, whatever you get. But I would hope that there won't be a shutdown. I am extremely unhappy with what the Democrats have given us. It's sad. It's sad. They're doing the country no favor. They are hurting our country very badly. Uh, but uh, we certainly don't want to see a shutdown. So the president there saying he's extremely unhappy with the deal at hand, but on the other hand, he doesn't want to see a government shutdown. So where does that leave us? Maybe the president's carving out some political space in which he could ultimately sign this deal while still denouncing it as a bad deal and looking for additional funding uh, elsewhere in the federal government to continue to build the wall on the southern border. It won't get him everything he wants, uh, but it might get him just enough of a face-saving opportunity to sign this deal and avoid another disastrous government shutdown down, which a lot of Republicans on Capitol Hill are urging him not to do. And then the other area where the president today was seeking some wiggle room is in the China negotiations. The president said today that the March 1st deadline uh, for those trade negotiations that are going on in Beijing this week, that is a hard deadline, he said. But he also said that if he gets close to that March 1st deadline, things are looking good he might let that uh, slide a little bit. So the question is here, uh, you know, what does good look like to the president and, and on what terms would he let that March 1st trade deadline slip? He's hinting that it's certainly a possibility anyway. So that gives him a little bit more wiggle room on that negotiation as well, Melissa. The willingness to be flexible, though, on that March 1st deadline, Eamon, is, is, is a positive thing. In terms of finding the money elsewhere in the government for uh, building a wall, I mean, what was put forth, I believe, was $1.37 billion. I mean, right. where would one find $4.5 billion or so uh, right. that's not approved by Congress to, to build a wall? Well, the federal, federal government is huge, but that's yeah. more than you can find, you know, in the cushions of the couch, right? So the question is, what do you do? My understanding is that they've been looking at this very carefully going back to the summer, uh, and they do have a sense that they can reprogram some federal funds toward building walls, and they have a sense that there, there are tranches of money that they can do that with that'll provoke a certain tranche that would provoke a little bit of resistance, another tranche that might provoke more resistance, and then a third tranche where they feel like they might face some lawsuits if they tried to repurpose that. For, for wall funding. So the question is, how much of that first tranche can they take and, and how many dollars are really there? That's a question I don't know the answer to, but they've been uh, scrubbing the books hard looking for money that they can move around here in the federal budget.
All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers at the White House. Well, today it was the cyclical sectors, materials, financials, industrials, all seeing the biggest gains. These are the groups that have helped lead us off the market lows. Will they drive us back to new highs, Guy? Well, these economically sensitive, the cyclical names that we talk about all the time, will they drive us? Well, the hope is they will. But I'll tell you, I don't think that's what's going on. Now, last night when the S&P closed at 27.10, I started the show by saying I think we roll over from here. Clearly, that's wrong as now we're some 35 points higher. I think this is actually a level that Steve's talked about. But I'll say this, although Citibank has rallied literally 30% over the last month, month and a half, and all these banks' names have done extraordinarily well, most of them, with the exception of J.P. Morgan, are in a predefined downtrend from the beginning of 2018. And I think what we're seeing is what like we've seen before. We're seeing a bounce off an oversold condition. Banks specifically, like Citi, continue to make lower lows and lower highs. And I think that's, that's what we're seeing now. So again, I've been wrong directionally with the broader market, but if you're looking for the banks to take us out, I think this is where actually they start to roll over. In terms of the action that we saw today, Grasso, I mean, in terms of the action in the cyclicals, does this tell you that this is China trade hopes? The, the it's China trade on industrials. Uh-huh. Uh, China trade on materials. So what's what's uh, shut down? Is there anything in, in that rally? So I, I think they're both they're both within the rally, but I do think we're ready to roll over. Mm-hmm. Uh, industrials can reach a little further, but I think the other two are ready to roll almost immediately. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you go ahead, Karen. Come on, ladies first, please. All right. uh, please that's how I roll. You know, I think the rally to, for me, it's much more about trade. I think if we don't come to a some if we don't avoid a shutdown, we have to avoid a shutdown, right? So I think that's sort of the easy money. It should have been it should have been in there already. To me, it's all about China. I think that a delay from March 1st is somewhat baked in already. I mean, here we are, you know, February 13th. We you know that we don't have enough time to come to a deal, right? So I think the assumption is already baked in that by March 1st we'll see some sort of okay, there's progress and. So let's continue to negotiate. If we don't get that, I think that will be really bad. So, but I do agree with Steve that the industrials still have more to run if that China trade continues in a positive moment. If we keep running, though, into a potential trade deal, what happens when we actually get a deal? Right. Well, I think we have a little room to run even after the deal before we are confronted with mm-hmm. a couple of dynamics. But I agree with Karen. I mean, the art of the deal is, is that there's some kind of a deal. And I think that's the presumption. The things that I get most encouraged about about a day like today and just the last bit of this trade for the entire market is that high yield and credit continues to improve. So if you think about what really took the market down into December, it was that the markets and the credit side began to seize up. And we saw something that we hadn't seen. We'd had volatility effectively from February all the way through to October without a deterioration credit. That continues to improve. If you look at the V shape, actually, the industrials have actually gone V plus, And they're probably 4% above kind of where they started this mess. So they they are correcting at least better uh, to a better place. And, and, and arguably, uh, if you think about the things that are moving the market, I do agree that we, we have a dynamic where the Fed off the table is something that gives people reason to not really scream for the worst. I think the bottom line is we know earnings are getting weaker. Uh, we know the market is probably reasonably priced. But without the Fed being owned, what, ha- what happens if they're the not difference. off the table? So this has been the, what the pushback the that I'm keeping in, in the play. back of my mind. What happens if they do raise? That would upset the market. And I do think the way you pose that question, what happens after the China deal? I think that the market, that's the, the biggest sell the news event in my mind. Right there. It, it can never live up to what we expect. I think if there is a China deal, what happens after the China deal is then there's a new negotiation with Europe. There are now second biggest trade partner. And is there some grand deal to be done with Europe and are tariffs imposed there? So I think we go from one side of the globe to the other. And don't underestimate, I think one of the headlines today was 
bipartisan group in Congress found no collusion between the Trump administration and Russia. I think that was part of this as well. So maybe it takes some of this Mueller investigation off the table. I don't know if that's the case. It just seems that was part of it as well. Again, I'll say the banks have traded extraordinarily well. And I didn't think from 2,500 we'd get to where we are now. But I do think you're starting to see, again, some, some levels where it would make sense to take profits specifically in these banks. Where does positioning, how does that play into it? I, I just read a Bank of America, Merrill Lynch survey of fund managers uh, with $515 billion under management, and most of them preferred cash over equities. The, the allocation of global equities is at the lowest since September 2016, and yet here we are in the markets. What, Wait, let me just ask, yeah, let me yeah. clarify something for me. When you say prefer cash over equities, that's on the margin, or they would have a bigger allocation of cash than they would to equities? Would, that would be... Kind of oh, I don't striking. think that it's a bigger allocation no. to okay. cash. So than, it's sort of on the margin, a higher, yeah. a higher, a higher cash allocation than, than they've normal. had yeah. in the past. Well, I, my view on that is, is uh, I think positioning is everything. Uh, I think where, where we were positioned, where greed and fear was uh, at the end of December, we've, we've kind of spouted these numbers over the last few weeks, but we're at a place where at least bears are, are kind of at a lows going all the way back to June. Um, bulls have certainly reasserted themselves. And, and to be clear also on the government shutdown, because I, I forgot to mention this earlier, if you think we rallied today on a possible deal, how about the month of January where we had no government in place and we had the best January in history? So um, do not delude yourself into thinking that this is actually a dynamic. It is China. And I do think positioning is everything, which is why people should be a little nervous right but now. But why are they sitting on cash? I think your point is, why, how are they sitting on why cash? Why are they so Who's, cautious? What are they, are they waiting so for at this that, point? That number could took that me be off. the next? Could that be the next? It could definitely be. I, right. I think the next, like, been higher. Right, yes. exactly. It's been After the China deal, you have but, got all this money supposedly on the sideline. I think so, the pain trades to the upside. To the point of the oversold, though, once you get bit by that overselling of the, of the uh, macro market, you kind of sit on your hands, and they've watched the market rally tremendously in January, and they're still sitting on their hands. So I think they're looking through saying, what do we have to look forward to? It's not going to be earnings. All right. Well, Mike Wilson is chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. He says take some profits here because this rally is running out of steam. Mike, great to have you with us. You Thanks sound like us. one of those fund managers <laughs> that was surveyed by Bank of America Merrill Lynch who are so cautious. So after a China trade deal, it sounds like you think there's really nothing to look forward to in the markets in terms of earnings growth as a catalyst, global growth as a catalyst, not yeah, there. I mean, to me, trade has not really been the main issue. It's been a it's been a sideshow to the business cycle, right? So let's go back a year ago. What we were really worried about last year was that the economy was going to overheat. The Fed was going to have to go faster, and that would tighten financial conditions, and ultimately that would lead to a margin squeeze, which it did, and a profits down cycle. And so that's where we are. So I still, the thing I don't hear people talking enough about is the, is the just acknowledging that the profit cycle is really rolling over in a meaningful way like we haven't seen since 2015-16. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to slip into an economic recession, but our work suggests that the, the revisions are not done yet. Okay, so let's, let's back up. The, the reason we've rallied so much, the main reason we've rallied so much is because the Fed pivoted. And that was unequivocally positive. And we've written about that. At the beginning of the year, we said, look, we think the rolling bear market's going to turn into a rolling bottom, right, with the worst stuff getting hit the hardest. This gets back to the materials and the banks and the semiconductors and the home builders and the things that really got hammered, EM over DM, which is a trade we've been espousing all year, value over growth, right, cyclicals over defensives. But now that's kind of played out. And so, like, I agree. What, what, what's the next thing to drive us higher? I think you're, you're all right. It's, it's positioning. There is cash on the sidelines. Retail hasn't really come in yet. Uh, and the reason why fund managers are holding a lot of cash is because they're getting outflows. Right? Yeah. They're still seeing outflows. And, oh, by the way, they're also looking at the same things I am and all of us are looking at as the earnings are not good. So they're not that excited 
about the fundamentals. They're saying, I understand I got maybe have to play here, but fundamentally, it's hard to get excited about a 0% growth earnings cycle for this year. So in terms of the, the further earnings revisions, we've already gone through the bulk of, of the first quarter earnings season. So are you anticipating just more revisions to the full year coming in the second quarter, coming in the third quarter? And what, in your view, is going to be the primary catalyst behind that? Is it going to be a stronger dollar? Is it going to, I mean, yeah. what do you see as the factors? So all of those. So first of all, they, the revisions for the first quarter have come down to the point now where we have negative year-over-year growth in the consensus numbers are baked in, which is basically company guidance, okay? But the companies haven't really guided for every quarter. So what's built into the consensus now is negative one and a half percent first quarter, like one to two percent in the second quarter, maybe two to three percent in the third quarter, and then this big hockey stick in the fourth quarter of nine, ten percent. That hockey stick needs to come down. And I would argue that the first, second, and third quarter are going to be deeper troughs. So that's going to transpire probably over the next 30 to 60 days. It's going to be a combination of the fact that sales are going to be slowing materially, the margin story, which I don't think is fully appreciated, and the dollar, as you pointed out, is a lot stronger than pretty much everybody's been looking for, including us, by the way. It's now nine, it's up 9% on a year-over-year basis, which is approximately a 4 to 5% drag on S&P earnings. So the, all, those combina- all those things are going to combine to lower company guidance probably over the next 30 days. So we talk about the S&P as the market, but it's... 500 or more, actually, stocks. So within that, though, we're going to have the ones that beat and ones that miss. And where do you think the industries are that are more likely to beat and ones that are more likely to miss? I mean, that's the right question. The risk now is idiosyncratic, right? So we've had the big whoosh down, the big whoosh up, and it's been a beta trade, let's be honest. So now things are are going to sift out. So we're trying to find stocks where the revisions have come down a lot or they're still really, really cheap and pricing in further cuts. So what we're wary of are sort of some of these high growth multiple stocks where the revisions haven't really come down yet. Retail is one of those areas. Some of the software stocks still look vulnerable in that regard. Um, I would say on the other side, we have stocks that have, you know, are pricing in still a slowdown. I mean, quite frankly, the banks are really not pricing in much of a recovery. They're also going to probably see further earnings revisions. So I think what you want to do is let things come in a little bit, buy the things that are cheaper. That's why we're skewed towards value. EM and some of the cyclicals, that's where the downside, I think, is priced properly. But even here, I would argue that there, it's not priced appropriately. Not so, so, Mike, how come other, is it shocking to you that other strategists haven't noticed the falling estimates and earnings or haven't acknowledged them the way you do? You sort of you know, are the doom and gloom guy when it, or the realist. How come others haven't? I don't know. Uh, I think I think price momentum has a lot to do with that. I think, uh, you know, what I hear a lot of is the stock's up, so it must, it must already be priced in. And I think, we're, you know, I think people are confusing stocks being up because of Fed dovishness and maybe a trade deal and maybe the government shutdown, which I agree is not a big deal, but it makes people feel better. And stocks are up for that reason, and they're not really telling us anything about the trough. I think, I think there's, one, there's one very different, so there's a, a comparison to first quarter 16. That's very similar, right? Fed backing off, China stimulating, companies are missing numbers, stocks are going up, but there's a big difference. In first quarter 16, that was the fourth quarter of negative year-over-year growth. This is the first quarter of negative year-over-year growth, and the comparisons are brutal going forward, meaning 20% growth comparisons. So it's just, a, it's apples and oranges on that comparison. That's why I'm not as excited about the full year growth. Our guess is it's going to be a flat earnings growth year for the S&P. And so you got to find the companies that can grow in that environment, which aren't overpriced. A month ago, that was easy. Today, I think it's harder, but that's that's the challenge. Year-end bull case is 3,000. Year-end bear case is 2,400. What's your year-end base case? 2,750. And, and, so, okay. yeah, and, and that's the narrative we've been had for a year. Just and head home at this point. Yeah. Right? Well, not really, because there's going to be some great trading opportunities, right? There's going to be, it's a big range. 
And so I'm waiting for the next big pullback. I think there's going to be a great opportunity, just like there was in January. So that's where we are. All right, Mike, thanks. Mike thanks Wilson. Guy? Yeah, Mike sticks to his guns, and he does very thoughtful work. I think that's Steve's point. And it's interesting because, you know, Apple gave that warning. The stock traded on 145. Not a lot has changed stocks 170 now. Skyworks on the back of it, we talked about. That came out and warned when it was 78. It's 83 now. So you have to say to yourself, maybe the good. Maybe there's pricing in such good news, to Mike's point, there's bad news coming. So I think, again, the market's ahead Careful, of its skis. We could buy the guest. I thought that I didn't bring him back. Uh, I mentioned like I mean, Mike he's still there, name. but just, yeah, yeah, just don't continue referring to him. It's rude to talk about him when he's still here. Go ahead. Go ahead. I lost my train of thought. Right. No, my point is this. I think <laughs> I thought that we're going to see a pullback for a while, but I'm going to stick to my guns. I do think we're going to start to roll over. Still ahead, as the markets have soared off the lows, a number of once left for dead stocks are being revived. We will give you the name, tell you if you should believe the bounce. Plus, check out Activision is up, up about uh, 3% after reporting earnings after the bell. The company conference calls underway. We'll bring you the very latest. And the unbreakable Netflix shares of the streaming giant up more than 30% this year, outperforming the rest of the FANG stocks. Is there still room to buy? The traders will weigh in. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Amazon and General Motors. Let's get to Eric Chemi in the newsroom with more. Eric. Melissa, that's right. Amazon and GM, they're in talks to invest in electric pickup maker Rivian. That's according to Reuters, who's citing sources. The minority stakes would value Rivian between $1 and $2 billion. Rivian, which is based in Detroit, is seeking to be the first company in the U.S. with an electric pickup truck. If negotiations are successful, a deal could be announced as early as this month. But there is a chance, of course, that talks could fall through. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Eric Chemi. Interesting because the pickup, obviously, is General Motors, probably one of their most profitable vehicles here. Yes, Mm -hmm. right. I mean, you know, it's not without risk them making the shift to EV, but it certainly would be with a huge risk if they didn't make that shift. If they lost that that incremental EV pickup sale share to somebody else like a Tesla who might make one. Right. I mean, so the future of their business depends on it. They don't, I I think GM's cheap. It's cheap here for a while. It doesn't matter. They put out good earnings. It it seems in Pervious to um, upside, but I'm hanging on because I believe. I mean, just being in the in the headline with Amazon is a huge tailwind for GM, which is up 16% year to date. I agree. It feels like it's starting to roll over, but nonetheless, I think this is a, a, a tremendous tailwind for them. I think GM has a major EV autonomous strategy that should be getting a multiple even at 120th of Tesla. So. That's what I think. All right. Now to Netflix soaring today, adding to its more than 30 percent gain this year after William Blair called for more than 20 percent upside from current levels. The firm saying Wall Street is underestimating Netflix's original content lineup. William Blair also calling the Best Picture nomination for the Netflix movie Roma at this year's Oscar a milestone for the company. Uh, With shares already up 50 percent from the lows, is there still room to buy, Steve? So my my thesis or my, my outlook was as Netflix goes, so goes the market. So I think the market is going to roll over. So I am bullish on Netflix. I like the stock. But I think overall, if the market backs up, this one's going to back up. But ultimately, longer term, I think that Netflix is a standalone entity with zero competition. A couple weeks ago, when it was 3.30 or so, we had a, uh, you know, it wasn't a would you rather, but I self sort of imposed would you rather. I feel like you're doing it again. I'm about to do it again. (laughs) And I said, I, I think there's a very good chance that the market rolls over and Netflix trades 300 before it trades 350. Maybe it printed 320, but here we are at 355. Again, I do think the broader market's going to roll over, but now what you have is a lot of analysts getting behind Netflix. You've got a lot of price, a lot of price targets being raised. 
What does that mean? Well, the next level in the name is 375, but I think you're chasing here. I would, I would avoid at these levels. What was the rather in that would you rather then? I don't because remember. You, you know, okay, I was just okay. It was, it was Netflix or Disney, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think right. it was Netflix Can I or push back on yeah. the yeah. issue? Of course. When you talk about zero competition, yeah. I mean, I, I find that a little hard to believe. you got some very big companies. Oh, it is television. Very I'm trying to be exaggerated right, a little bit. All right, good. I go with that. Amazon but, Prime, yes. Right? Hulu, yes. Disney, yes. Also, all there's, they a have big, competition. there's a big competition but, for content, right? So right, right, even, but they're, they're, so those okay, costs sorry, have to ahead, rise, right? So the costs have to rise, and you do you are competing, right, for, for um, you know, people are going right. to sign up, some DTC, right? Um I, so you just totally dismiss so Amazon and I think, and I think Disney the whole cord-cutting episode, I think everyone's going to have a whole bunch of pay-per-month streaming uh, entities. So I think everyone, I think there's enough for them all to survive. I wind up spending the most of my time, if I'm streaming something, on Amazon Prime or on Netflix. But Netflix themselves said HBO is not their competition. It's Fortnite. That, to me, means wow. are they getting into that game, too, where you've seen I, a, a, a lot of that space struggle. Do they have another entity to sort of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, fill the coffers as well? Look, there's no question that, that gaming is, is taking a different demographic and an audience, and there's different consumption tastes going on in media. So, I, I mean, I think they all feel that way. Uh, for an analyst to say that we don't think that... Uh, Netflix's content is being priced into it or that we're underestimating the value of their content. Are you kidding me? I mean, stock trades at 150 times earnings. I mean, what are we trading it on? I mean, the, the view that Amazon has had a few Emmys has been out there since Orange is the New Black. That's been the whole point, that they've actually come from just being a distribution call to a content place. So telling me now that we think that content is undervalued, I think content is totally overvalued. And if it is, I would go to Disney right away. For more on the Netflix rally, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's alive. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. You got that right, because a number of once left for dead stocks are soaring. And we'll tell you which ones have more room to run. Plus, get in, loser. We're going shopping. Shares of Macy's have gotten left in the dust, but Karen Feinerman says the damage is done. She'll explain. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets. Soaring today with all three major indices now up double digits off the December lows, and that's giving new life to a number of once left for dead stocks. Let's get to our very own Dom Chu in the newsroom with more. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, stocks were roaring to the upside today as the bulls look to take that S&P 500 back above its 200-day moving average. It traded above that longer-term trend line for the first time since December 4th. And, of course, it's been a staggering upside run for stocks ever since those Christmas Eve lows. But some of the biggest beneficiaries of the run have been the stocks that got hit the hardest in 2018. For example... Let's take a stock like Schlumberger and Oil Services. The shares fell by 46% or so in 2018. They're up around 22% or so so far in 2019. United Rentals lost 40% last year, but up around 28% this year. Similar story here with casino giant Wynn Resorts, a 41% drop last year, turning into a 28% gain year to date. General Electric also falls into that boat. It lost 57% last year. It's rebounding by about 32% this year. And then there's Mattel. Thanks in part to a better-than-expected earnings report, shares have surged by 68% or thereabouts year-to-date after falling 35% last year. Now, Melissa, 
these are just some samples of that believe the bounce trade. So will traders still be singing, don't stop believing, or have these run their course for the time being? Back oh. over to you guys. All right, Dom, thank you. Dom, you back in the news. A little journey. A little journey. Steve Perry, sure. Like your favorite group, right? I mean, I wouldn't say that, Mel, but I appreciate you <laughs> asking. Your ringtone. They're, 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 they're fun and karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's his ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Stop believing. I thought that was Tim's ring. All right, we thought it'd be a perfect time to play another round of. Trade it or fade it. That's right. Trade it or fade it. So let's kick things off with Mattel down 35% last year, up a whopping 65% this year. So trade it or fade it. Tim Seymour, this was a, a 2017 Power Lunch stock draft <laughs> right. pick of yours. So, so the therefore, timing was a little the off. song Don't Stop Believing really <laughs> would apply to this one. And, and I kind of still believe. Um, some of this is, you know, it's not of a good investor is they let their winners run and they don't let their losers run. And in fact, this is one that arguably I've let run too far. I have an average price. I'm in jail on this one probably somewhere south of $20. Uh, but the turnaround is very impressive for a company where expectations were so low. Gross margin close to 40%. Hey, Barb is back north of 10% in terms of sales growth. Hot Wheels is back. So, you know, I think the worst of the story for Mattel in terms of the bankruptcy of Toys R Us, et cetera, is behind it. So forgetting what you caught, paid for it, which is, I think, totally trade irrelevant. It. Oh, sorry. Oh, trade I'm supposed to say that sorry. first. Tim. Yeah. Mm. What, so you came to it today with fresh eyes. You had no history of owning the right. stock. Everything you say is true, even though it's bounced a lot. From right. right here. So, it so, seems like the story's very much intact. To, to and because right I've here. spent so much time sitting to your right or TV left, um, <laughs> I believe what you think, which is I need to want to own this tomorrow, fresh today, to stay in this trade. And I do, because the bottom line is we've now had reaffirmation that a turnaround in management, a turnaround story is alive and well, and that the expectations this company is going out of business, I think, were way overstated. Um, new movie releases are important. They have a technology play, and I think it's not terribly expensive. Wait, wait. Karen, are you unclear on the rules of trade? Have you forgotten? The trade it is trade it means buy. Right, yeah, okay, right, right. Okay, okay. That, no, 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 I'm saying it's a confusing game. He sounded game. like a little lukewarm a little because a oh, it's fady. run a lot. But maybe do I fade it? Then he yeah, did say okay, trade it. Right. But I just I didn't to say clarify. anything for a long time. What did you time? say? <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. What did Karen say at this point? I know I'm, I'm with him. I would trade, trade it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think the, the positioning is ultimately. I would I would fade it. I think the positioning is ultimately what created this bounce. But it's bounced twice now. So that stands to the positioning of it. So I do think you cannot buy something so overextended like right. this. Let's move on to Win Resorts. Mm. Guy, trade it or fade it? Well, a lot of Win's problems are self-induced, as we've talked about for a number. Contessa Brewer's done a great job on the Win story. Stock went from 200 to 100, basically in a straight line over the previous six months. But here we are now, 125. Now, you would think, and I'm going to play the game correctly, given my views on the market, I would say fade it. But you would be wrong. I am going to say trade it pull the graphic please ding 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 nice. you say well what are you nuts and yes is the short answer to that question and macau gaming revenue down five percent year over year last month i get it a lot of bad numbers but valuation is pretty interesting the stock is bouncing and i think if you have any hint of a trade deal over the next couple weeks you'll see a continued rally in this name so although i'm somewhat pessimistic broadly i think the market in win can at least continue to go higher i agree with his last statement but i'm going to say fade it i agree uh, with his last statement that you're going to see the last pop on a trade deal any hint 
as you uh, worded it, of a trade deal. You could see a pop. That's one to fade. It's already in the name. China trade is already there. Macau is already there. It could only be lackluster. How was the Golden Week holiday, Tim? Not for you personally. Well, but yeah, for, it's always an important time for him. But, but it actually, early signs, good. Yeah. I, I think that the China story has been so devastating for the entire space. I actually am a trade-it player on this game. Ooh. Notice I said trade-it. All right, let's move on to uh, Schlumberger in the energy mm. space. Grasso, would you trade it or fade it? I'm going to fade this one as well. So if you look at the chart on this one, it's correlated to... Is there anything you like? You're like Mikey here. We'll get there. We're, we're going to get there. There's a couple okay. of more right. names okay. left. All right. uh, it's correlated to oil. I think that they've already had their run. Uh, it, we're in an oversupplied state. I would, be tra- I would be fading, sorry, fading the entire space. Karen? I don't know. I mean, I get so here's the thing about this game. We've had things down, let's say 60 for 40 percent. Are, are you right? going to t- are you going to I'm going to uh, trade it. And OK, then, and then you're going to talk down the game. Uh, well, yeah, I'm I think disparaging the game. The market, not, not the game. Not not okay. the game. Right. The so we not have a stock nice. that goes down 40 percent, right? It's from 100 to 60 right. and then it's up 30 percent. It's only back to 78. Right. Yeah. So just because we've seen these big percentage gains doesn't mean that the story, you know, done, that it's played out. Also, these are companies with debt. So the enterprise value hasn't moved that much. Therefore, I'm still trading a lot mm. of them. Mm. I trade it. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I think the oil services space is one of the most fascinating out there because we've talked and I've talked about how the short interest in the energy sector is at record highs. Uh, services is actually under even more pressure. I like SLB. I like HAL here. All right. United Rentals. This uh, is definitely a Karen Feinerman name. Trade it or fade it. We all know the answer, I think. But yes, Karen? The answer is trade it, right? So some people will point to this. Oh, it's had a big bounce. We just talked about how that big bounce isn't necessarily so big. People point to the debt here. Not understanding really the way the company works. It is very asset heavy, right? But if you look at the multiple, if you look at the cash flow here, it is so easily sustainable for that debt. In fact, they always have the problem. What do we do with all the cash they buy back stock. They do acquisitions. They become bigger and bigger. And they, we talked in the last quarter about a secular shift of the idea of sharing, the sharing economy for big equipment. They're the master of that. I like it. Is this Gross's life cereal? Did you say trade it? Trade it, yeah. What is yes. it? Maybe I, I, I don't know. Like, I think I, I started I, I, with yeah. this. She likes it. Yeah, this is a trade. This is, this is a trade it for me as well. You know, I know you don't care about this. First of all, Karen was saying, don't hate the player, hate the game, she was saying. That's okay. what the cool kids say. And you mentioned Life Serial. This is just a more you know type thing. Yes. Mikey? They, they were actually three brothers from Yonkers, New York, the Gilcrest brothers. Actually, Actual real brothers. brothers. Rap guy. We will. The Home Builder is just another group of stocks soaring after getting pummeled last year. And one trader's betting the rally could heat up for one name in the space. We've got the details. Plus, check out Activision up around 4% after hours. The call is underway right now. We'll bring you the latest from the C-suite. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Activision Blizzard rallying after hours on earnings. Josh Lipton's monitoring the call. So uh, what did the CEO, Bobby Kotick, just say, Josh? So, Mel, a couple things. One is uh, job cuts are coming to Activision on the call. They are going to reduce their workforce by about 8%. At last count, that company had around 9,800 employees. So where those cuts are going to happen, they're saying it'll be in, in their words, less productive, non-strategic areas. On the call, CEO Bobby Kotick, um, listen, said they had record financial results in 2018, but they did not achieve, he said, the engagement, the player investment goals that they set, set for themselves. So 2019, in his words, will require a significant change. Uh, Take a listen to what he had to tell analysts. 
We're adding development talent to ensure our teams can deliver exactly what our fans have come to expect from our games, a consistent flow of compelling content. We'll also increase our focus on adjacent opportunities with demonstrated potential like eSports for Overwatch League and Call of Duty. We're staffing up production on our incubation efforts faster and increasing our investment in live services, in our tools, in our Battle.net platform, and in new areas like our fast-growing eSports and advertising efforts. Two more quick points, Melissa. Uh, the Overwatch League, obviously that new season kicks off on February 14th. Um, the company's saying that will introduce eight new city teams. It's going to introduce home and away matches for some teams for the very first time, too. Interestingly, um, Apex Legends, so the, the free-to-play battle royale game from Electronic Arts that's generating so much buzz, uh, on the call, analysts um, asked them uh, about that. And uh, listen, whether it had them kind of rethinking the monetization model for their own games, executives yeah. only saying on the call that they have a lot of different models right now. So they've got free-to-play, they say, but they also have advertising and subscriptions, so they have a range of options. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. So, uh, Guy, interesting yes. after-hours action in this one. Traded down sure. to 40, actually below 41 point reverse. That's a very good sign, by the way, but the one that I now come to is, all right, what do you trade off the back of that? And I look at Take-Two, which has been, again, taken out to the woodshed over the last, you know, three or four months from 140 down to 80 but if you look where it traded today, it traded the same levels we saw, I think, last April or so. Huge volume day. Feels like some capitulation to me. Maybe the worst is in the space. If you look at Electronic Arts, that stock is bounced. So really, the only one that hasn't in the space is Take Two. So that's where I would immediately go. I spent a little time watching uh, Overwatch at the Barclays Center. It was a pretty exciting night. And, mm. and I'll tell you, if, if you look at Apex Legends for EA, this is a tell, it tells you how quickly the fortunes of these companies can turn around. Uh, stock is up almost 30% in four days. These guys came out with numbers on the early, early take on this game is that it's kicking it. And, and that's really the story for these guys. So the valuation is very defendable at these levels if you think they can remain relevant. Kudos to you. You liked it when it was down, when it was getting crushed last well, week. Well, I liked it when it was higher, too. Thank you. Take two, take two is down 13%, and you have this one, Activision Blizzard, is down actually 7% after this earnings beat. I think EA is the only one that's figured out a way to compete with Fortnite. So they've learned from it. The others will eventually learn. Longer term, I think they're all a buy. Right now, I'd stay in EA. All right, still ahead. Under Armour shares soaring today and up nearly 30% this year, but has the stock run too far too fast? The traders will weigh in. Plus, as Under Armour soars, Macy's is sinking. Shares of the retailer down 17% this year. But Karen here says there is one thing investors are getting all wrong about the sell-off. She'll break it down much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Under Armour racing higher today after the company reported better than expected earnings before the bell. The move uh, adding to the more than 25% gain so far this year, nearly 32% jump off the lows of December. So should investors chase the rally here or has Under Armour gone too far too fast? And of course, the interesting thing here is it was international that really played a role here in these it, earnings. It was, and a gross margin that was 150 bips better for a company that had been discounting its way into oblivion. And, and, and I think that the turnover in the C-suite is something that at least is no longer the story. Um, the expectations have certainly been leveled. So at this point, I, I, I would remain neutral on the stock. It's had a very big run. It's, far, it's difficult for me to get very strongly behind this move. Yeah. Karen? I, I agree with Tim. I, I think that if you want to play the space, I think Nike is really the premier way to go. At not... 
a premium price, this this is way more expensive. Yeah, more that's, that's I, I think the reversal. Matter, by the way, I think the, it was. I picked up on that. Yeah. I, th- I think the reversal was pretty impressive today in Under Armour. When you look at where it was, where it came from, where it finished up, I think positioning is the overarching theme of tonight, and I think it, it, it outweighs any type of revenue warning that they had when you see the stock up this much. So I would still be a buyer here. I would wait till it level off, levels off, but I'd still be a buyer. Valuation, it's just, listen, it's had a great run, obviously, and maybe it has another 50 cents to a dollar on the upside, which percentage-wise is significant, but valuation is going to get in the way at some point. All right. From a soaring retailer to a sinking one, Macy's is the worst-performing S&P stock this year, down 17%, and one of the only stocks in the red since the December lows. But Karen says investors could be missing something about this sell-off. So, Karen, why don't you head on over to the plasma yes. give us your fine print. Well, as Love Melissa this. said, down 17% or so for the year, mainly due to a January 10th bomb that they dropped on the market where they lowered guidance, their comp store sales were down. There was really not much to like. However, all of that having been said... I love this miracle on 34th Street. I didn't think of it, but that's a good one. The stock is already priced for disaster, right? We are looking at the cheapest the stock has been in years, even though they've paid off a fair amount of debt. So by their own historical to the market and to itself, it hasn't been this cheap since 2008, right? So a lot has happened. And yet here we are still. It is as cheap as it was at the bottom of the crisis. But to me, the thing that is most important here is this. I always think that the debt markets are a lot smarter than the equity markets. And let's look what's happened in the debt markets. So they announced this bomb on January 10th, and we see the, we see the, the debt trade down, and then it's right back to where it was. It's all the way back. And since I think the debt markets are smarter than the equity markets, that's really interesting to me because now we look at the stock, make that circle a little smaller if I could, I can't, but all right, it hasn't bounced back at all. Nothing's happened to the stock except that it ticks down every single day. So January 26th, they're going to announce earnings. They have set the bar so low that if they don't, even if they trip on it, that's okay. As long as they don't trip on it and fall flat on their face, I think that you're going to make money in this stock. Now, if you're really afraid of the name and you think, you know what, department stores are dead, you can play it through options, which is mostly how I've chosen to play it, because I think we're looking at a very asymmetric risk here. If they put out earnings that are okay, fine, or in line with their January 10th guidance, then I think you're going to see the stock a lot higher than here. It trades way cheaper than anything else in the space. They deserve some discount, but the discount they have is too much, even with bad news that I I think disastrous news is already priced in. A couple things. I think Karen is bucking for her maiden maiden, uh, appearance on OA, which is a great show that appears every Friday at 530 (laughs) on this network, number one. Number two, I'm not looking to tee you up, but people talk about the Herald Square location, their real estate. Does this play into that at all? Is that undervalued in your opinion? Well, interestingly, when I talk about the stock as cheap as it's been, it's at 1.35% of book, and that book includes some of that real estate, but I don't think they're going to monetize it. They did just, they're selling iMagnon. I want to back that out of their earnings because that's really a one-time thing. I'm not relying on real estate. But it does, there is some put in there for real estate. 
Hey, Karen, I, I tend to agree with you both on the debt side because this was a major catalyst uh, about a year ago, which took the stock after, you know, actually it was pre-holiday pre pre 2017. But do you see that the balance sheet has the ability actually to buy back a little bit debt? Because that was actually a major catalyst for the stock. It also kind of gives the, the sense that the 6% dividend yield is alive and well because the valuation is crazy cheap. And usually people are quick to point out that they're going to lose some part of that div uh, and they're worried about the debt, which you pointed out is actually a good sign. I, thanks for bringing up that dividend. I don't like to buy things for dividend, but 6%. I mean, that's a crazy high dividend. I think they do have the cash flow to do it. It's trading at, at the debt to, equity, to, uh, to EBITDA is less than two times. I think they have room. It would probably be great for them to, to buy back debt, actually, instead of dividends. But I think they can still do both. All right. Thanks for the fine print, Karen. Uh, coming up, home builders on a hot streak. And one trader is betting this stock right here could see an even bigger rally in the next few weeks. Nice. Find out the name, what has them so bullish next. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam. And tonight, Jim is giving his take on today's big rally. Catch that at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the home builders on fire this year, up nearly 20%. But one trader's betting that one home builder in particular has more room to run. Let's go out to Mike Coe in San Francisco to uh, break down the options action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So we were taking a look at DR Horton, symbol DHI today, which traded well over two times its average daily options volume and calls outpaced puts by about seven to one. And one of the notable trades that I saw was a purchase of the August 41 calls. Somebody paid $3.40 a contract for 2,000 of those. Now, just for those to break even, the stock would have to be above that $41 strike price by the premium that they paid. That would be an increase of over 10%. But I think we can assume that someone who's buying those calls isn't hoping only to break even but to actually make money. So I would actually assume that they're probably targeting the highs from last April. That gets us to a little over 46 bucks. Personally, I think DR Horton looks reasonably cheap here at about 10 times earnings, and I think that's the number that they're targeting. Got to go to Grasso for this. So ISI, uh, DR Horton specifically is cheap. They're all cheap. But price to book, it's actually more expensive than Lenar. I'm long Lenar. But there was a couple of things that went on today. ISI inflection point in the, in the home builder space. You had the avoidance of the government shutdown. That's positive for home builders. I would say I'm positive across the space, Lenar specifically. Yeah. The home builders look remarkably like banks. I mean, they all topped out early 2018, lower lows, lower highs. And, and you know, D.R. Horton is one of those stocks. I think you're in a still pretty well-defined downtrend. Toll Brothers as well. If you're looking for a breakout, I think you got to buy it above 42 and a half. Otherwise, I think you're right up against it here at 40-ish dollars. Two completely different views. Yeah, and well, I mean, <laughs> my view is that I think people wrongly assume that this is a Fed play, but yet... They're a Fed play. And, and if you actually believe that the Fed is totally out of the picture, I think you have a little room. Now, in a world where we actually had the Fed out of the picture, um, and then again, so the interest rates are staying sideways, um, the home builders didn't do much either. I think people really need to see these guys grow. And the problem is that there's structural issues in the housing market that I think are difficult right now that I don't see getting a lot better. So help from the Fed is a short covering rally, but I think you leave that alone. But if the Fed is, is on the sidelines because their, gro their outlook for growth is dim, then that's not necessarily good. I mean, I get the job market is strong. It's a race still. call. Yeah, yeah. That's no, all. I, but it's, it's sort of like I a, agree. one or the other here. I'm surprised they weren't higher going into the year, actually, right? I think there's a lot of, I mean, I understand what you're saying. There's some headwinds. I think it's hard to find labor. I think they're finding some commodity headwinds as well. But 
with the labor market as strong as it is, right, and rates here, you would think. I kind of think the whole space is cheap. I mean, I like Home Depot and Lowe's as a different way to play it, also having the consumer in there, but right. I'd, I'd trade it. Is that right? <laughs> well, it would be if we were playing the that game. But I'm glad it. that you were uh, embracing the game. Embrace yourself, no, trading it or fading it. I want to play it at every available time. Crafty. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Help Tim get out of the box. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. All right. So just to reaffirm my traded call earlier with Mattel, and just to let Karen know, I'm not just in it because it's done okay to this point. And I want to stay in this trade because I think they've turned around. Product releases look good, and I actually think that you have a dynamic here where some of the licensing business for Barbie is hot again. Go Barbie. All right, Karen. Yeah, so it was good enough for the other final print, or I guess fine print. Macy's, I like the calls going into earnings, which are February 26th, so you need March calls to be able to get that. I think the risk reward is really compelling if they come close to meeting what they laid out. I think the stock has significant downside, and if you buy the options, you know exactly what you'll, uh, significant upside, I'm sorry. And if you buy the options, you'll know exactly what you have at risk to the downside. Grasso. This has been a long time in the coming. Home Builders 2019, I think, is going to be their year. Lennar, I'm sticking with that horse. Lennar. Go back to last spring, sister. Look where Take Two bottomed out. Look where it is today. Take Two Interactive. All right, that does it for us. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.